Well, dear church family, this evening we uh, are beginning a new Bible study series in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul's uh, wonderful and glorious epistle to the uh, Romans. Uh, this evening, we're, like I said, we're not going to even leave base camp as it, as it were. Um, so we're not going to come to the actual text itself. Tonight's study really will be just an introduction to the epistle to the Romans. So we're going to really think of the, the man, Apostle Paul, the context, and we're going to look at the mission, basically three points, the, the man, the context, and the, and the mission. And so tonight's study, this introduction, is really just meant as a taster, really, of what to expect for the rest of uh, this uh, study in Romans. It is said of the book of Romans by some of the great worthies of old. John Calvin said, if we have gained a true understanding of this epistle, we have opened, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures of scripture. And how true that is. The importance of this book and the amount of light that this epistle to the Romans gives us concerning the work the person and work of Christ and the gospel. Indeed, the Bible, another has said, is like a royal palace of 66 rooms. Some rooms are small and some are vast. Some are surpassingly bright while others seem dark by comparison. But the wonder of the palace, he's talking about the Bible now as an illustration of 66 books, that which, whichever room a subject cares to enter, he can be certain of meeting the king there. And Romans is one of the most glorious rooms of all the palace of the Bible because of the light in it. It is one where the king is most clearly seen. Christ is most see clearly seen, is it, is it not, in the, in, in the book of Romans. And, and it is for good reason, which we'll come to see. In terms of the New Testament, uh, in the New Testament indeed, I believe... Romans, uh, three books really, which I believe are, the, are fundamental really to our understanding of uh, the New Testament. Romans, I believe, is one of them. Uh, the epistle to the Hebrews, uh, I believe, is another one. And I think a very, another one, important one, is the Gospel according to John. I think those three books, for, for me, it may be different for others, but for me in the New Testament are fundamental. You get a good grasp of those three books, really, and you have a very good understanding of the whole of the scriptures. Um, and so Romans, it is, it's not first in order because it was written earlier. In fact, it was one of the, the, the last of Paul's epistles uh, to be written. It was written very late on in his ministries. It's written first, it comes straight after Acts deliberately because it is foundational. It's foundational to our understanding of the gospel. There's so much clear light given in terms of the gospel. Martin Luther said concerning Romans that this letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. It is purest gospel it is well worthy a Christian's while not only to memorize it word for word. Do we memorize it <laughs> word for word? You could see uh, what they were doing in those days, weren't they? But also to occupy himself with it daily, 
as though it were the daily bread of the soul. It is impossible to read or meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. So uh, it's fair to say, is it not, are the great worthies of old that this epistle of of Paul to the Romans is an incredibly important epistle. When a believer begins to understand the epistle of Romans, the effect, really the spiritual effect and the spiritual life is remarkable that it begins to have on someone's heart and someone's, someone's life. I know this is true of me and I know this is true of so many. If you look throughout church history, Martin Luther was one of them actually, but you look at the effect the book of Romans has on so many people, the, the, the clear light of the gospel, um, it's remarkable. They begin to see that much of what passes really for the gospel in our days is not a gospel at all, really. And so I just want to solidify the importance of this precious epistle to the Romans we have here. As a way of introduction, if I were to choose a few texts really to speak of this introduction on the book of Romans, of course there are so many, aren't there, precious texts. But if I were to pick a few, um, for for me it would be Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And probably along with Romans 11.36, that great doxology to the praise and glory of God, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Now, beloved, with that said, as a way of introduction to the book of Romans, this evening I'll give us just very briefly three brief points to consider uh, based on Romans 1 verse 1. Three points to consider in terms of uh, uh, an introduction to the book of Romans. So, again, this is not some grand theological study where I'm going to go into all the details. This is uh, an overview. Uh, This is an introduction, really. And so firstly, um, the first point is the man. The man, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. What was, who is Paul? What of his upbringing? What of his childhood? Who is the the man, as, as it were? So firstly, the man, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the context, the context. Paul was called to be an apostle. And specifically, he was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to the Roman, the, the Roman Empire, the much influenced Roman Empire, the Gentiles. So he was called to be an apostle, secondly. So that's the context. And thirdly, the mission. He was separated unto the gospel. The gospel of God. And so he was exclusively to preach and to live out the gospel. He spent, that's what he spent his life in. And so the man, 
the context, the mission, as it were. And so firstly then the man, Paul, who became a servant of Jesus Christ. Of course, he wasn't always a servant. I'm not going to, we all know uh, the, the, the details. He was saved uh, on that Damascus road and he uh, was completely changed, wasn't he? And he became a servant of Jesus Christ. But what do we know of the apostle? Uh, what do we know of Paul? What do we know of his upbringing? What do we know of his childhood? What do we know of his natural character? So what, what do we know of this man, Paul? Because scripture sheds light on these, on these details, which are very important, as we'll come to see, how God used all these things. Well, according to Acts uh, 22.3, Paul was born in Tarsus, uh, a city in Cilicia, southern Turkey. Tarsus was one of the leading cities of the Roman Empire. And so if we think of uh, uh, cities like Athens and, and other cities, it was a, re- a, a leading city of the Roman Empire. It, was, it still very much had the, Gr- the Grecian mind, very much the last empire, as it were. And uh, it was, a, it was a, a huge city. S- uh, so Paul, in essence, was, uh, was a Roman citizen born in Tarsus into a very strict Jewish family. He was a son of a Pharisee. And in the providence of God, this upbringing was earlier on, um, most think, was in the Roman culture, the mindset. So he had the, the best of two worlds, as it were. He's brought up in a kind of a Gentile world, a Roman culture world in his early childhood, but then he went to Jerusalem, um, as it were. So he had the, he had, he understood Roman law, he understood Roman, the, the false Roman deities, he understood Roman culture, he, worked, he walked Roman streets, he went to Roman markets, he would have understood the character of the people in, in Roman Uh, in this Roman province, as it were. So he understood the Roman mindset. That's important. But unbeknown to the the law, unbeknown to Paul, you see, um, God would use all this, unbeknown to to, to him at that time. And so Tarsus was also a major trading city, being a focal point for many civilizations. Many different people from around the world would have at some point gone through this place. So it, he would have met lots of different types of characters. Uh, and again, this is very important to understand. It was renowned for its literary zeal. The Grecian mind was very much in uh, Tarsus. It was also known for its thriving agricultural uh, industry and linen industry in particular. And many think this is where Paul learned his trade as a tent maker. As we know from Jewish custom, they had a trade, didn't they, alongside uh, this. And uh, according to um, many commentators, it's that province in particular of Tarsus was well known for its abundance in goat's hair, which basically, I know it sounds a bit unusual, but that's what they made tents out of. Uh, goat's hair and this particular province abounded with it and so with that said it is also evident 
from Acts 22.3 that Paul's principal education took place in Jerusalem at the feet of that renowned Jewish scholar Gamaliel. And so he sat at the feet, as it were, of Gamaliel. He was saturated and trained in the Old Testament scriptures. He was an Hebrew of Hebrews, according to his own acknowledgement, as touching the law, a Pharisee. But also he perfectly, or he very much understood the Roman mindset as well. And we see that really in his, in his epistles. So like I said, he had the in, in terms of providence, he, he had the best of two worlds, really. He understood the, the, the Gentile mind as well as the, 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 the Jewish mind. And as we will come to see that Paul's upbringing across Gentile and Jewish world was really providential preparation uh, by the Lord God, unbeknown to Paul at that time. Uh, much uh, of the Roman Empire, Empire influenced the world, and he had both of those things uh, he was brought up with. But more than all of these things, which I've just mentioned, Paul's own conversion experience really fueled his passion for the proclamation of the gospel. And we all know what happened, of course, on that great day which he was converted. He was a fierce persecutor of God's people. And uh, the Lord directly confronted him on that Damascus road. But what's important to remember in this regard is that Paul's conversion was without human uh, instrumentality. It was without human intervention. And this is important. He was taught the gospel by immediate revelation of Jesus Christ. He says by his own admission in Galatians 1, 11 through 12, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. In other words, man had no influence at all in terms of the gospel with him. The, the, the Lord Jesus Christ revealed himself to Paul. And we use, the Lord uses means with us, of course. But one of the qualifications of an apostle is, of course, to being, having been with uh, the risen Savior, the Lord. And so the gospel was taught to uh, Paul by uh, special revelation through Christ, direct revelation. He says in verse 12, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is so important because this means, this again we know this, but the gospel is not some figment of some man's imagination. It wasn't written, as it were, as a backup or anything like that or to, to against some other thing. It was given to us from the Lord God himself and written in clear terms for us to understand. This is the power unto salvation. It was to Paul and it is to us. So it comes with great authority, authority to save. Um, and so we must study to show ourselves approved, as it were. And so as we've read from Romans 1.1, Paul was separated unto the gospel of God he was called to be an apostle and he became a servant of Jesus Christ, a bondservant, someone who was utterly at the disposal 
of Christ. Whatever went before him in his life, when he was converted there, he became a servant of Jesus Christ. In other words, his whole life was dedicated to the service of Christ. And in a way, that's true of every true born-again believer. When we are converted, whatever has happened prior to us in our life, when we're born again, our lives begin a new trajectory and a new purpose in life. And that could be different, of course, in different degrees with different roles, but there is a different course and primarily we are separated to the gospel, to preach the good news of the gospel, to point to the good news to the gospel, to support the good news of the gospel. That was Paul. His life was completely in the service of Christ. And so he was writing here to the Romans as one who had received grace, who was literally at the disposal of Jesus Christ, as one who had received undeserved kindness, the life of God in his soul. It is said of his natural character that he was ardent, full of energy, uncompromising, and sometimes very direct and very severe. But of course, the grace of God subdued the once persecutor into a man of great tenderness, a man of great reconciliation, of great conciliation, of moderation and mildness, which is manifest right throughout all of his epistles. And wherever Paul went on his extensive journeys led by the Spirit, it was not to see the sights and sounds of the Roman Empire or the uh, Gentile world. It wasn't to try out the local cuisine or to walk the historic and amazing streets and to go discover the, the buildings and all these things of the Roman Empire. His employment was one and one only, and that was to preach the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ to all. And if he was detained in prison or by any other means uh, and could not verbally preach the gospel, he would do so in writing, as we have here in the epistle to the Romans. He was detained. And are we not glad that he was in the providence of God? He was detained. And if you think about it, when he wrote to the this, this epistle to the, to the Romans, the clarity. He would normally be preaching the gospel, going into the detail of the doctrine of the wrath of God, the, 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 the sin, the universal sin that, is, that the, the Jew and the Gentile must take seriously. All these truths that he put it all down uh, in writing, not only for uh, the Romans, but of course for all of us. So we, we cannot be mistaken to the, the truth of the gospel, you see. And so that's, when, when thing, bad things happen to us, just be sure that often there's a reason behind that. If you're detained or somehow you think, well, I'm not going forward, well, God can use that. And often he does. And so we see this wonderful providence. Paul's motivation in writing and preaching and being spent for the Lord and the Lord's gospel was his love for the Saviour. It was his love for his Saviour, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And his love for his Saviour's message, the gospel. And of course, his love 
to see needy sinners also saved by God's grace. It was those three things. His love for the Saviour, his love for the message, his Saviour's message, and it was love for, for sinners. And again, I think this is so true concerning believers. It's, it's so sad to see when you see believers that have no concern for the lost. Uh, and it's such a sad, sad thing which we see. Many believers, no uh, concern for many souls perishing. And you've got to ask your question, have they ever known the way, the, the right way at all? And so this, of course, ought to be the chief motivation of anyone entering into the ministry, the regular church ministry. It is to see souls being saved by God's grace. That is the chief aim of any ministry, as it were. And again, I just need to make this point that it is so sad in the, in the days that we live in, many churches do not want to preach a regular gospel message, a searching gospel message. And that is very telling why. And I'm not just saying this is uh, across denominations, by the way, including re in reform circles, that it is a regular, a heartfelt gospel message now. Is, is very, very few churches are doing this nowadays. And it's very telling why. And, this, and the tragedy of our, of, our, our, of our present age and the lack of true gospel ministry, I believe, is due in part due to the, to the lack of actually regenerate ministers. I really believe that is, that is what it's down to. Or ministers who have been so discouraged and perhaps are just downcast. So there is that as well. But I also believe that it's down to people who actually have not been converted. And they, it's the lost preaching to the lost, as it were. The gospel is not in their forefront of their thinking. And Paul actually touches on this in the epistles. He says in Romans 10.15, How shall they preach except they be sent? You see, you must be sent first. You have to have that conviction in your heart. What I've been saved from. Uh, the Lord has saved me from, from God's wrath, from hell, from my wicked old life. He, he saved me. Uh, and when that dawns upon us, and when someone truly understands uh, what the Lord has done for him or her, they want to, tr to truly live for the Lord. And uh, they want others to know of this. It's urgent. It's, it's everlasting. And so, well, we thought a little about the man. I can, we, can, we can talk a lot about that, but we, we spoke a bit about the man, Paul. Let us now consider the context. The context. This epistle is written to all that be in Rome from somewhere in Corinth around AD 57. And we, we know this is more than likely from the special recommendation of Phoebe. In Romans 16, some will contest that. It's, it's not a particularly big issue, but uh, it, that's from Romans 16. The question is, really, is who planted the church at Rome? Who planted this church at Rome? It certainly was not Peter, as many, many Roman Catholics will ardently fight against. That it was Peter, of course, we know the reason why. Um, 
But the question is, who planted this church at Rome? Because we know that Paul had never been there before. He had hoped for a long time to to go to to Rome. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? When we read Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, and that great outpouring of the Holy Spirit and upon Peter's powerful preaching that 3,000 souls were saved. And we're told, are we not, that there were devout men of every nation there. And in particular, we are told in Acts 2.10 that there were strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. There was a contingent from Rome on the day of Pentecost, on the feast. And we're also told that upon Peter's powerful preaching and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, like I said, 3,000 souls were saved. And so it's not hard to imagine and recognize that amongst that 3,000 people who were converted, that there would have been a contingent of Roman citizens of that great city of Rome that were saved. A contingent. There would have been a body of believers, people who would have been converted, and they would have taken the gospel back with them to Rome. And that's how the church was established, by ordinary people, as it were, taking the gospel back to them. And of course, the Lord, I believe, in that great city, wanted to add more to their numbers because of the multitude of souls in that city. We also know that there were those converted elsewhere under Paul's ministry who moved to Rome in order to strengthen the church there. Of course, like I said, it had a great population and for, of course, the furtherance of the gospel in that great city. Now, we know this from Aquila and Priscilla being there. Rome, of course, is the chief city of the Roman Empire. It was the chief world power at the time, which influenced the world, as it were. And if we can imagine, uh, it was kind of like the United States today. And there is that kind of expression, isn't there, that what happens in America uh, often comes, uh, comes across to the UK. Well, that was very uh, similar to Rome. Uh, the Rome influenced much of the known world at the time there. And the, the gospel, of course, going to that Rome, well, Paul, Paul commends, doesn't he, does he not, to the Roman Christians, the Romans 1.8, for their faith, which was spoken about throughout the world. Their faith was spoken about throughout the world. And friends, how, how we desire that the Lord would in, increase our faith, not so that we can be spoken about, we do not seek our own glory, but so that we can be mightily used to spread the gospel. How we need to pray, oh Lord, give me a greater faith to take hold upon the person of Christ, to use what you've given me, the gifts that you've given me, to not hide my bushel, as it were. Um, How we need to pray for our faith to be increased. Yet, in saying all these things, Paul had never been to Rome. He had been to Philippi, he had been to Thessalonica, he had been to those other Roman outposts and provinces, as it were, but he had never yet been to Rome. And yet through Paul's labours amongst the Gentiles, 
He had become very accustomed to, like I said, Roman law, Roman custom, Roman characteristics, the mindset of Romans, the false deities, uh, the language, and so on. And by way of application, let me just say this. Part of an effectual gospel ministry, and I think our brother mentioned this, is understanding those to whom you're witnessing to. Is taking an interest in those who you're, you're ministering to. Understanding what people are giving their hearts to. Don't, we don't do that. We'd, it's foolish to go out and to minister people at nightclubs and this. It's ridiculous. We, we don't, you don't go to that extent. Uh, but it's, it's important to understand what pe- men and women and people are giving their hearts to. Understand uh, uh, by being a, a surgeon, as, as it were, understand the, the cause. It can be completely different to what is. Of course, we know that from the scriptures, but we must put this into practical use. Asking questions, getting to know people. And Paul really did understand that. He understood various different types of people, the mindsets of people. And he understood their, their thinking. He understood the false deities, what they were giving their hearts to. The Apostle Paul refuted the Stoics and Epicureans. They believed, of course, in the practice of this well-being, as it were, this natural goodness of of man, denying uh, divine intervention. And he knew of the various Roman deities, did he not? The foolish Hellenistic uh, philosophies of Plato and so on and so forth, which he perfectly refuted through the gospel. And Paul had been to Roman prisons, he had been to Roman marketplaces, Roman streets, he stood before Roman magistrates. He would have known the, that the, the polytheism, that is the, the belief in more than one God, he would know that the polytheism of the, the Roman kind of Greek world before that was in decline. He knew that. He, he was very, he knew the dissatisfaction that people had in the belief in multi, multiplicity of gods. He knew that Judaism throughout the Roman Empire was on the increase, that the, where the, the Jews were spread out, synagogues were set up, and he knew that actually a lot of people were drawn to the Jewish faith, and hence the, the many proselytes. Jews there were. And actually many uh, secular historians have actually said that the, the synagogues became actually very fashionable places. P- people, uh, the, the, the belief in one God, a, a monotheistic religion, actually became very attractive to, to many people. And so this attracted a lot of people to the belief in one God. And so, again, this opened up the door. All these factors opened up the door to the gospel. Um, we, he knew that Judaism throughout the Roman Empire was on the increase because of this monotheistic religion, a, religion, a belief in one God. And indeed, many conversions to Christianity were from proselyte Jews. Um, but they did not have all the entanglements of Judaism. So they, they, they wouldn't have all this entanglements 
of Judaism. They were new, new to, the, to Judaism. And so they were, they were deeply affected by the gospel and liberated by the gospel. And indeed, we also know that such was the faith of Roman believers in the gospel that it infiltrated the house of Caesar. Such was their faith. Philippians 4.22. And like I said, brothers and sisters of Christ, how we must pray for the Lord. Oh, increase my faith, Lord. Help me to be separated unto the gospel, not to be distracted, as it, as it were. Well, we, we thought about the man. We thought about the something or the context. What are the mission? What was the mission that the Apostle Paul was sent on? What was the mission of God raising up this vessel, as, as, a, as it were, to the Gentile-speaking world, the Roman Empire, the, the, the Gentile world? Well, the mission was to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, to breathe the gospel, the clear, pure, undiluted gospel, wherever you went, to all types of men, to the Jew first and to the Gentile. And so... Uh, completely uh, all types of men without favour and whether that was in the synagogues whether that was in the marketplaces whether that was in the open air whether that was in houses whether that was on riverbanks on islands or in writing uh, his life was absolutely dedicated to spreading the gospel one commentator notes that uh, the readers of this Epistle were the ordinary men and women of the local church at Rome. And sometimes we forget about that when we read it. That this letter is not a document intended only for the eyes of seminary students or academics. It is not a treatise of, theologi of theological uh, arguments. It is not a piece of specialised instruction for church officers or a written lecture for preachers and pastors. It is a letter. It is a letter to ordinary believers. And it is to, to ordinary people. Romans is the gospel believed in, in by the pew of the New Testament churches. And it is the gospel which ordinary uh, believers loved and lived by. It is the gospel which was believed by men and women and boys and girls who were saved by God's grace in Rome. And so the epistle of Romans can essentially, uh, remember this is just an, introduc an introduction to the epistle uh, of Romans. It can essentially be, uh, sp there's many ways of dividing up the, the book of Romans, the epistle of Romans. But just for simplicity terms, into, into, in, it can be split in half, essentially, the epistle to the Romans. The first half really is revealing clearly the truth of God's salvation through the gospel. God's salvation through the gospel. The second half reveals the results of that. The results. What, what the gospel has done. What, what are the results? What's the fruit of the gospel? And this, of course, in, includes uh, how we treat authorities how Christians believe, uh, treat authorities. What is our relation to the church, uh, to, the, to uh, Israel? And so it includes all these things. Chapters 1 through 11 lay out 
very clearly the doctrine and truth concerning the gospel so that no one can be mistaken uh, of the, the, what the gospel is. So, so, the, so the, the, we see very early that the theological foundations being laid here of the gospel. It speaks of the absolute need of Christ's righteousness alone. Christ's righteousness, not our own righteousness to be saved, but Christ's blood and righteousness. It speaks of justification by faith in Christ. It speaks of the need of both Jew and Gentile to take sin very seriously. That sin is not only a problem for the Gentiles, but the Jews also. That sin is universal. And so sin is very much brought uh, the power of sin is very much brought to the light. Paul says, in essence, you must understand who God is. You must understand the nature of God. You must understand God's wrath. You must understand that he hates sin. Not only uh, outward sins, but he hates sins of the heart and the mind. He hates those things. And so you too, Jew and Gentile, are under God's wrath. Sin is universal, and, and that's why you must believe in Christ's righteousness and his blood, and, not, not, and that not of your, your own obedience, as it were. You need to understand God's wrath, his hatred for sin, else you'll never appreciate the mercy of God through the gospel, through Christ. And so he goes in, in, to, in pains to... to Give us something of the nature of God, of who God is. And once again, these truths are seldomly preached from most pulpits today. It's not, it's a, not a popular message, is it? But I, I believe one of the, the greatest killers, silent killers of the gospel in Britain, Great Britain today, is political correctness. It's, it's, it's infiltrated many churches today. We are being persecuted. Don't get me wrong. We're being persecuted. Political correctness is coming like a flood. The vast majority of people are becoming averse, even many professors, to hearing about their sin, about God's wrath, God's hatred of sin, heart sins, mind sins, or the reality of hell. People do not want to hear that nowadays. They want to have itching ears. They want to feel a, a do-gooder uh, Christianity. And that wasn't the Apostle Paul at all. Paul is charged to bring the pure, undiluted word to his hearers. Whatever persecution, whatever difficulties that may bring. And once a ministry ceases to preach on sin, the wrath of God, the reality of hell, and of course, the, the, the loving message of the gospel, they... They, they, do the, the, they do a great <laughs> they do the, 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 a great disfavor to sinners. You're not showing kindness to, to people by, by telling them what they want to hear. Get into politics <laughs> if you want to do that. Uh, ministers who are in constant fear of offending through the gospel must immediately cease at once from preaching the gospel. We must not go out of our way. Don't get me wrong. Rod or I don't go out of our way to offend people. We don't want to do that. But we know that the gospel 
if it's truly preached the full counsel of gospel, that will bring offence, because it says so. And also, we have to do that, we're charged to do that, because if we don't, the blood is on our hands. We must, we're going to stand before the Lord one day, and if if we did not properly warn people, the blood is on our hands. And so, like I said, those who are in constant fear of preaching the true undiluted gospel, as it were, they must cease from the ministry uh, uh, because it comes with the territory of being a faithful preacher of the ministry. In Romans, Paul speaks of how union with Christ brings newness of life. So he, he then goes on, of course, to from the, the gospel the power of the gospel in, in Christ uh, and the, to trust in Christ's righteousness, blood and righteousness by faith. And then the results of that, the newness of life that brings, the, the fruit of being saved in which you can never lose your salvation, the fruits of it, the new birth that it gives, the, the sanctification, that, that the ongoing sanctification which the Lord does in, in our hearts and life. A, a, a desire to walk by faith and not by sight. He speaks of the ongoing spiritual warfare in a believer's heart that entails conversion. There's a warfare. There's a hatred for sin, the old man. I don't want to give space to the old man. I don't want, I want to, I have a new, uh, a new resident, the Holy Spirit within me. And the Holy Spirit is holy. And so the Holy Spirit wants me to be holy in mind, in heart, in everything. And so I do not want to, as the, the, uh, the, the scripture says, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. You see, when a believer uh, it gets distracted uh, from the gospel, from serving and loving and depending upon the Lord, uh, daily... Uh, crying out to the Lord, that felt presence of the Lord, and gets distracted from all that uh, by worldliness, it grieves the Lord. It grieves the spirit of the Lord because the spirit is within a believer. And that's why you can never lose your salvation, by the way, because you've got the Holy Spirit. That's why you grieve. Worldlings don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Worldlings are fine, uh, living in, in sin every day. But believers, of course, it grieves them. I hate my sin. I've, I hate that I've failed the Lord again. That I've, I've been drawn aside. I've watched another, even though it's not intrinsically evil, I've spent so much time watching nonsense or, or just being pulled aside by nonsense. I've not given myself to prayer, wrestled in prayer, sought the Lord's blessing in prayer, read the scriptures, called up a brother, prayed for a brother, that I spent this, this time, which in the end is not going to be fruitful. And so uh, he speaks of these things. He speaks of the ongoing spiritual warfare. He speaks of the, 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 the sure hope that this brings and again, we can be encouraged. We, we, although we can sometimes be downcast by these things, we think, well, I'm not what I am. I used to be. I, I, I'm the Lord's. There is the spiritual war for good. I do love the Lord. I do love his gospel. And so there's this sure hope that, 
it's not always going to be this way. That we will be with the Lord one day. We won't have to fight sin, this world and the devil and the devil's minions and the influences of this world. We're going to a better place. There's a sure hope. There's now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. Christ has died. That means my sin has been completely buried and dealt with. And when he rose, he rose, uh, I have risen. And I am now with him and my thoughts and my mind should be focused in, in heaven and in glory, as it were. In chapter 9, Paul steps back really from all these beautiful doctrinal truths concerning the gospel, all these riches of the gospel and God's grace, and he gives that grand perspective behind all of it, that this was all due to God's predestination of us. This was all due to God's love to us before the foundations of the world, all due to his electing love of us. So he steps back and he says, this is why. (laughs) That you're saved by sovereign grace and love. And I tell you what, when that truth strikes home to your heart, it, it, it has such a profound effect upon a believer's heart. It helps them so much in the years to come that I'm in his hands. If it were in my hands or in the hands of another, then there would be cause to be afraid. But I'm in his hands now. I'm saved by his grace. And when we get that perspective... It really does help us along our way. Chapters 10 and 11 speaks of, sorry, I'm mindful of the time actually. I'm just trying to speed through now. Chapters 10 and 11 speaks of Israel and the the church and how we are to understand uh, these things. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll try to be as uh, reconciling as possible. uh, These things are not dividing issues. We love one another, has different issues to these things, just putting it out there. Chapters, chapter 12 talks about the believer's relationship and membership or the body of Christ, the church, and, and what that entails in terms of the gospel. The chapter 13 shows us the implications of the believer in the life of the state. What are the implications? Are we to be these, ah, oh, always complaining about the state? You see that, we're not to do that (laughs) as believers. We are to pray for those in authority. Yes, you know, we can can be abhorred with the evil and we can speak about it, but but don't be, don't know the power that is ordained of God. Chapter 14 and 15 shows how Christians ought to treat fellow Christians and the disparity that sometimes exists between different believers different backgrounds, different cultures, saved from different backgrounds. So there is a, sometimes a disparity. We've got to work all this out. And we're, and we're indeed, we're doing this. And so Paul explains in those chapters how this is overcome through the gospel, you, you see. The one-mindedness that we should have in Christ, in uh, those heavenly aims. It's only when earthly things kind of get in the, in the way that it kind of takes us off that. In chapter 16, Paul catalogues how the gospel and the results thereof work their way out in the, in the, the ordinary lives of men and women and children. He reveals the names and the people, as it were. See, he catalogues this in the lives of just real men and women and children. 
In, uh, in Paul's epistle to the Romans, we're given the fundamentals, really, of our faith, as well as the fruit thereof, the fruit that comes from our faith. And it is always that way around, by the way. It's always faith, then the fruit. It's never fruit, then the faith. Faith grounded in the truth of the gospel and its fruitful results. But again, by way of application, some say, I want the truth. I want the truth. I want the gospel. But I don't want the fruits. I don't want the fruits. By way of, of their lifestyle, I don't want the fruits. I don't want to be uh, committed to a local Bible-believing church. I don't, don't want to grow in holiness. I don't want to grow in service and dedication and love and joy and peace and all these things. And so some, by their lifestyle, say that. I want the truth. I'm a, I'm a, I believed in the gospel. They, they don't want the fruits. And others say, I want the fruit by means of the gospel. I want the, the fruit, as, as it were. In other words, I want to live a holy lifestyle. I want to uh, have my life framed around Christ. But I want to go a back way. I want to, I want to, I want to get, get a back way, not through Christ's blood and righteousness, a different way, as it were. But I'm still, I'm still living a holy life, still doing this. Romans sets before us the revelation of God in Christ Jesus. All preconceived opinions, views diminish the more we are conformed to the word of God. And that's why we should read really what the Calvins, what the Luthers, what the, what the worthies of old have said concerning this, the true way of salvation, and understand it clearly. There's no shortcuts in gaining this there's no some quick YouTube video. There's no quick pyramid, get rich scheme, as it were, to, to gaining this. We have a clear light of the gospel set before us. The gospel changes our lives radically and conforms us to the word. And we would do well, beloved, and I know, and I know we are here, is to remember these truths this evening. Christians are minors. Are they not? They are minors. We're not just to, uh, as, as it were, scratch up the gravel surface. We are to mine. We are to dig deep, as it were. We are to get to the treasure in the word, the spiritual depth, as it were. We are to go deep into the word, prayerfully, heartily, with desire to being, want to be used for the Lord. Don't be a surface level Christian, a nominal Christian, a quick daily bread, as it were, and that's it. A quick daily bread to appease the conscience. Be, be a Christian that's sincere, earnest, earnestly seeking the Lord's blessing. Christians are fishers of men, not just, of course, people like the Apostle Peter, but in, in, in essence, we all are. It is our responsibility. We may not be a preacher, but we can point to the Lord. We can support the service, uh, the service of the gospel. There's this aim. Christians are fishers of men. The deeper into the waters you go, the greater fish you'll catch. Paul's, Paul's changed life was taken up by the gospel, the good news on 
who Christ is and what he has done for needy sinners, the personal work of Christ. And how can a man get right with God through the gospel? Of course, there is, again, I'm going to try and finish off now, there is the confusion of justification and sanctification. I'm not going to get into that this evening. And the book of Romans speaks of that. Romans has been the, the sharp blade of the word of God used throughout church history to thwart false doctrines, heretics like Pelagius, man is naturally good, and so on and so forth. Romans has been a great, great for thwarting false doctrines and heretics. And I think it's fair to say that Romans expounds the gospel more so than in any single book. There's much light in any other books, but Romans more so. And so it is worthy of our heartfelt and prayer-felt study and attention. The epistle to Romans is, is also fundamental to our understanding of the Old Testament, the Old Testament and the relationship with the new and how people were saved. We read that in our opening, did we not? How people were saved in the new was similar to that of the old. And our brother Rod is uh, very faithfully speaking about that, about uh, how, yes, dimly, how the gospel is seen, the redemptive plan of God is seen, but it's there, and people are saved the same way. We see the connection between the first Adam and the last Adam. We see the connection of Moses and Christ. We, it expands Abraham's gospel record, uh, King David's, and so on. Well, this, this evening, I hope, really, I've just given us a little bit of a taster Really, that's all I wanted to do is just give us a, a little taste of what to expect in terms of this wonderful epistle to the Romans. And I'm just going to conclude with Romans 8.37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we all say amen to that. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk.